0: Hello and good morning. It's Tuesday, the 11th of September, 2018, which of course means a very somber day, especially here in the States and indeed around the world as we remember this, the 17th anniversary of the tragic events of 9-11 back in 2001 when humanity showed its darkest side to the world. Welcome back to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the only twice-weekly podcast on autonomous cars in the world. Today, GM hits a roadblock in New York City, Volvo's autonomous sleeping cars may be the wrong solution, and we crunch some numbers on the autonomous car market for the next five years. All this, right now. But first, a quick recap of last week's Friday poll day with Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue. If you remember, the question we asked was How much safer do you think fully autonomous level 5 cars will be once they become available? Somewhat frustratingly, we didn't get too many votes on here to result in a statistically significant uh, outcome. But I am pleased to say, and perhaps not too surprised to say, that uh, while 71% said that uh, autonomous cars would be much safer than humans, only 14% said slightly safer sometimes, another 14% said slightly more dangerous. And fully 0% said much more dangerous. So that's, I guess that's a bit reassuring. That said, again, not a really significant number of votes this time around. Maybe it's not such a good question, so I apologize for that. Going forward, by all means, please feel free to shoot me your recommendations for what would be a good Friday poll to run. Um, Give me your question, provide four answer choices, and I'll be happy to run the best ones I see. All right, so we've talked quite a bit on this show about GM's cruise automation. Cruise, of course, was the small startup that was acquired by GM for $1 billion. They had gone through Silicon Valley's prestigious Y Combinator incubator, and they've since raised something around $2 billion in the years since. So Cruise has been, well, cruising about the streets of San Francisco with its in-house developed Chevy Bolt fully electric, fully autonomous cars. Uh, Their goal, of course, is in the next year or so to roll out a version of these cars without any sort of driver inputs whatsoever, right? That means no steering wheel, no pedals. So one of the neat things, one of the biggest differentiators, I think, between Cruise and, say, Waymo or really any of the other companies is their singular focus to test, mm, well, on the brutally difficult streets of San Francisco, which is obviously the best, I say the best, really the worst place in the world that you want to test an autonomous car just due to all the chaotic things that can happen and go wrong. Bicyclists swerving in front of you, pedestrians every this way and that, cargo trucks, double parked cars, illegally parked, illegally turning cars, this, that, the other. Really, driving regulations are more of a suggestion and less of a law. This, of course, though, not unique to San Francisco. Certainly, it's the case, say, in Boston or New York and certainly other cities around the world. Um, And to be fair, I guess it's not as bad as certain other cities elsewhere in the world, but certainly here in the States, it's a pretty tall order. If you want to get an autonomous car driving well, see if it can master the streets of San Francisco Um, and the streets of New York, because that's what this segment's all about, is that GM have been trying to get cruise automation vehicles testing in New York City, where they've apparently set up shop. Um, Thing is, though, it hasn't really started yet. In fact, it hasn't happened at all, and nobody seems to know why. Uh, GM had promised that uh, they'd be testing on the streets of Manhattan in early 2018. Shockingly, we are now coming in on the end of 2018. And really, there's just nothing going on. And nobody seems to know what's what. Um, Suffice to say, then, it seems that, well, part of the issue is just purely regulatory. Turns out that, well, crews have said uh, in an article to Jalopnik dot com, that, you know, they've managed to map a quote unquote significant portion of New York City, and that the city is a quote unquote complex regulatory environment, and we continue to work with stakeholders on next steps. So, yeah, that makes sense. Obviously you're gonna have to get a lot of regulatory hurdles passed before you can start testing, you know, cars without drivers on the streets. I get that. Here's what's if not weird, then certainly a bit um bit of a paradox. So I've often said that I believe probably we're going to see fully autonomous cars, uh, zipping along freeways in, well, essentially the carpool lanes, uh, not all the lanes, just the carpool lanes. Uh, first before we see them anywhere else, uh, including, and especially before we see them inside dense urban cores like San Francisco, Boston, New York, and so on. Um, and this is a bit of a weird claim, I I suppose, but, but, but here's, Kind of why I say this, right? So obviously, on a freeway, the risks are potentially higher due to the inherently higher speeds of freeways. On the other hand, well, there's less things that can go wrong. There's less variables. So to use an aviation analogy, as I'm often wont to do, um, obviously, uh, nearly fully autonomous airplanes have been cruising our skies for several decades because, well, there's just fewer things to go wrong in the sky. I mean, you know, you don't have to contend with, well, bicyclists and pedestrians zipping in front of your airplane, nor do you have to contend with such things on freeways. Obviously, though, inside of cities, well, things are very, very different. And so, yeah, on the one hand, the risks are lower because the speeds are lower. On the other hand, far more things can go wrong, therefore the risks are obviously greater. At the very least, from a purely sort of developmental point of view, simply put, getting an autonomous car to drive rather well in a freeway environment Is a far simpler thing to do, a far lower hurdle than getting an autonomous car to do well in a dense urban core. Um, And incidentally, this is why we've seen so many car companies testing their autonomous offerings in, say, cities in Arizona, where you've got huge, sprawling boulevards, uh, and there's a lot less things that can go wrong. Or if you're not testing on massive boulevards in the middle of huge open desert space, well, then you're testing in simulator land, which is, of course, what Waymo has been doing predominantly, apart from its on-road tests, largely in Silicon Valley uh, and Arizona and elsewhere besides. Um, but but when you look at testing in dense urban cores, it's an altogether different challenge. This, of course, is why GM is so keen to move beyond San Francisco and start testing on the brutally difficult streets of New York City. But it's not happening, Um, and nobody really seems to know why. And indeed, at the end of this article on Jalopnik, um, there's actually a request to please write in if anybody happens to know anything about GM Cruise and its efforts to test autonomous cars in New York City. I, for one, would love to know the same, because the sooner they can start testing, the better. Um, Again, I get it. Very, very important for cities to make sure this is done right. And to be fair, as we've discussed a bit in the past, there's a lot of people now who are really not too sure whether they want autonomous cars. In fact, as I mentioned in our uh, immediate previous episode, it turns out that more people are against autonomous cars now than they were two years ago. And as I put it last time, it seems that for the first time in history, technology, technological development is actually outpacing consumer demand. I can't think of a time and other technology where this has been the case. So I, I think this is a very important thing to get going sooner rather than later for all the obvious reasons. I mean, the sooner we can address the issue of dense urban cores and the sooner at least taxis and delivery vehicles and eventually most cars can be transitioned to fully autonomous vehicles, the better and smoother traffic will obviously flow. But there's a really big if to all this, which kind of leads kind of segues perfectly to our next segment, and that is the notion of, well, it's all good and well to have many autonomous vehicles on the road, but if and only if they're actually having a net reduction in traffic, or at least a net reduction in travel times. And this, of course, requires that they're not being used totally empty or just with one passenger, and that's what brings us to our next segment. So it looks like my five-star winning streak on iTunes podcast has come to an end because one of you has just left me a two-star rating. And for that, I'm genuinely thankful because it means I've got room to improve. The only problem is you didn't leave me any feedback, so I don't know what's sort of not working for you on this show. So if you'd be good enough, you can leave me an anonymous bit of feedback through the website at markhoge.com. Because at the end of the day, I really want to make this for you. I'm doing this for two reasons. One, it's fun and enjoyable for me to do it. And secondly, it seems that many, or at least most of you, if not all of you, are really getting something of value out of this. At least that's what I've deduced from enjoying a 20% listenership boost week over week. So if you'd be good enough to let me know what's not working for you, I'd be hugely grateful. So thank you so much for that. Hear that? So Volvo has released images of its newest concept for a fully self-driving car. And when I say fully self-driving, I mean like this thing's got a fold-out bed inside. I mean, seriously, this thing has a fridge, it has a bar, it's got a sink with a faucet with room enough to brush your teeth. I mean, this thing is admittedly pretty cool. And so the idea that Volvo is put out there, and by the way, this thing is called the Volvo 360 C. So the idea is that it's supposed to be um, an alternative to short haul airplane flights, because why not? Um, well, here's why not. Because it's not the right way to go about it. This is not the way that autonomous cars are supposed to be used. If you go back several episodes back, uh, when I had the good fortune to listen to the presentation given by UC Davis's uh, professor, Spurling, the need for the three sort of pillars of a self-driving world, you've got uh, electrification, automation, and of course, carpooling. I'm not going to say poolification. That just sounds weird. Um, and, and that's a really critically important point, right? Because... You can have all the electric autonomous cars you like on the road, but if they're all running about emptier with just one person, uh, well, as we reported also in the past, um, a study just came out that indeed this will result in a net increase of traffic and indeed travel time. So, um, yeah, the idea of just kind of, you know, getting a bunch of people not to fly, but rather to take a car alone from A to B, yeah, that's that's not the way this is going to work. This is sort of the... To, to use an analogy, I guess it's kind of like, hey, electric cars are great for the environment. Yeah, well, not if the electricity is coming solely from dirty coal-powered power plants. This is only the case if they're coming from clean power sources like hydro and and wind and that kind of thing. So, and solar, of course. So, so yeah. So this is really kind of an uh, this is just kind of a backwards way of looking at it. And frankly, I'm a bit appalled that Volvo are seriously suggesting this is the way to do things. Maybe I'm not being fair, I'm being a bit harsh. There's two things that are occurring to me right now as I do this segment. Number one, every new sort of technology needs its halo product. It needs its sort of thing that gets the world excited. So obviously with Tesla, it was first of all the first generation Roadster Then it was the Model S and, of course, the X with all of its expensive trimmings. And it was only once people got excited about Tesla and the brand generally that it then started to trickle down-ish, little by little, to the Model 3, which is admittedly still a bit pricey as we wait for the long-rumored base entry-level $35,000 version. Uh, My point is this. Volvo have done some astonishing things in recent years, ever since their acquisition by... Chinese company Geely, which have really just been a infusion of cash, while Volvo itself remains truly a properly Swedish company. And thanks to that infusion of cash, they've been really, you know, um, rolling out some truly fantastic metal. The Volvo XC90, a brilliant, beautiful SUV. I would actually say it might be the the best SUV in the world at any price point. Um, and that's a pretty tall order when you think of it. Um, then, of course, they have got the XC60. They've also got the new. Uh, let's see here. Help me out. The S90 sedan. I think there's a new wagon. The V90. These, of course, all borrowing from the XC90's beauty. But what's impressive about these cars, and you're going to see, I'm going to bring this full circle in a moment, is that beauty wasn't just skin deep. These, of course, had some of their earliest generation semi-autonomous capabilities. Uh, nowhere near, really, to what Tesla have been doing with Autopilot. And uh, but kind of right along, right along the same lines as what Mercedes have done with the E Class and the GLC and so forth. So they've really made a really, you know, made a lot of strides. And they have their goal It's called Vision 2020 to ensure that no human is ever hurt or injured, uh, sorry, hurt or killed um, by any Volvo automobile, either inside or outside the car by 2020. So that's a really big claim. That's a really ambitious goal, and I applaud them for that. Suffice to say, then, Volvo are really on path to this autonomous future in a really big way. But that's what makes this thing sort of weird. But I think I see why they're doing it. It's because they really want to create this sort of halo product. If they can actually bring this thing to market, it's not what the market needs. It's not the right solution. But if it just gets people more excited about Volvo and the brand generally, and indeed for autonomous cars generally... Well, that then could be the right thing. It's just that it's very important going forward that we ensure that um, you know this isn't the way that autonomous cars generally are going to be used. Because optimally, what we need is indeed this pooling thing, right? We've we've got to kind of move away this concept of kind of one person per car, and certainly can't have a ton of these things running about empty all the time. Um, you know, because going forward, it's going to be more of a community thing. I know we've talked about this a lot. I don't I don't really know how this is going to work. I mean, I, for one, am still very much a car guy, as I've said time and again. I love having my own car, as selfish and awful and hypocritical as that sounds. So I don't really know what the solution is, how we're going to get people to kind of wrap their heads around this community sort of concept of car ownership going forward. Um... Yeah, I get it. Those of you living in San Francisco, Boston, New York, Chicago, where else, you know, wherever else you've got these dense urban cores, I know the idea of car sharing is pretty commonplace to you now. But 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 in most of the US where you don't have this need and it doesn't really make so much sense, private car ownership, individual car ownership is still really the only way to go. And you're gonna have to pull these things away from people, you know, scratching and clawing until you get, you know, get them to part ways with their cars. So I don't really know. But 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 I but I can say that I agree very much that, um, with this notion that the Volvo three hundred and sixty C is a beautiful thing. It's a great idea by all means. I think Volvo should roll it out. I I, I just get concerned that you know people start thinking, hey, this is how it's going to be. Autonomous cars are just going to be like a really wealthy alternative, uh, expensive alternative for the wealthy to short haul flights, and that's that's just not a viable solution. Not this, you know, not in a time when Southern California, for example, is continuing to expand and widen all of its freeways. It's just not the right solution. So, I guess, as always, let me know what you think of, you know, how this should, you know, how should this be rolled out? What is the right way to do this? Um, again, we've talked often in, about in the past about the need for some kind of a tax. Uh, I don't like that word. It just often produces a lot of problems in and of itself. So. Let me know what you think about this. Let me know what you think about the Volvo 360 C and what is the right way to go about all this. Hey, don't forget to follow this podcast over on Twitter at AutonomousHogue and of course, our website at Markhoag.com. That's M-A-R-C-H-O-A-G where you can read episode summaries and notes. You can discuss and debate to your art's content in the comments for each episode's article. You can also, of course, leave me feedback. You can leave a testimonial. And I promise I'll always get back to you. So head on over. I'll be here when you get back. All right, to wrap things up today, I want to talk a little bit of numbers here, something we don't do too much on this show, just because I I don't really want to make it a number-crunchy type of show, but I just saw a report published uh, today, this morning, actually, over on MarketWatch. Some pretty solid numbers here, just to throw out there at you. Um, It looks like the self-driving car market is said to be growing at a compounded annual growth rate of 36.2%, which is going to result in a global revenue for self-driving cars generally. In the amount of 173 billion US dollars by 2023. That's just in the next five years. So this is pretty astonishing. Um I, I should mention that this market is defined uh quite broadly and it's covering kind of all the elements that go into the self-driving car market generally, right? So it's gonna include the vehicles themselves, including the sensors, cameras the AI software, the radar, et cetera. It's gonna involve or it's gonna include any of the mobility software, the mobility as a service providers that are sure to evolve and roll out in the coming years. So it's kind of a really broad definition, but it's admittedly a good definition. Um and, and to be fair, this 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 uh this number is of course worldwide ish. It's covering the key regions apparently for North America, Europe, Asia Pacific, Latin America, and the Middle East and Africa. Um, so, so it's a really, uh, I think a very insightful number. And now to just to kind of put things in perspective, um, some of you may have heard that Apple and Amazon just became the first trillion dollar companies. This is by valuation. This is not by revenue. No one's saying that these companies are making a trillion dollars a year here. We're talking actual revenue. Uh, so yeah, self-driving car market, $173 billion worth of revenue by 2023, a 36.2% compounded annual growth rate. This is pretty staggering stuff. All right, so that's a wrap for today. As a reminder, if you're enjoying this podcast, you can now show your support with a small monthly donation in the amount of $0.99, $4.99, or $9.99. You can head over to the anchor.fm profile page for this podcast. You can find the links over at the the homepage at markhogue.com. Any contribution you make, of course, very much appreciated indeed. And to those of you already pitching in, you know who you are. Thank you so much. All right, so that'll do it then for today. Uh, until next time, it'll be Thursday or Friday. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, take care. Bye-bye.